Apparently, my unit's colors were too much to ask after multiple deployments to Iraq as a team leader and a troop sergeant major and hundreds of missions hunting down terrorists and insurgents, going through doors, any of which could have had death standing on the other side. Then again as a squadron sergeant major, and finally as the command sergeant major, the highest ranking non-com in this nation's most elite military unit. Maybe it would have been better if I'd been shot entering a door. I would have assuredly gotten the unit colors, along with a folded flag handed to my widow. I'd taken on other dangerous and clandestine missions to places in the world that most Americans have never heard of, much less knew that people were there plotting to kill them, and stopped them. My life had been laid on the line more times than I could count. My body was broken, my mind a mess. My dedication to the job had cost me two marriages with a third on the rocks. I was estranged from my son and hardly spoke to my parents, siblings, or friends. I grieved for those who didn't make it home from the battlefield, as well as for those who did, but were as messed up as I was. And this was my thanks? This was my punishment, really. Selection really is ongoing. Until the day you walk away. Then you are left to judge yourself with all your mishaps and blunders remembered, and none of the good. Tonight on the DTD Podcast, we have a double-decker sandwich of an interview. We not only have one guest, but two. Our first guest, Tom Satterley, is a highly decorated combat veteran, having served in the Army 25 years, the last 20 of it in the military's most elite Tier 1 unit, Delta Force. He's been involved in and led some of our nation's most important military campaigns, including the mission of Black Hawk Down, capturing Saddam Hussein, and he's been awarded five bronze stars, two for valorous acts, and he was the first American to attend the German Ranger School. And the second person that we have tonight is his wife, Jen Satterley. She's an award-winning filmmaker and photographer for 15 years, spending the last three years as director of film and photography of an elite special operations training company, fully embedded with Navy SEALs, Green Berets, and Army Rangers in a large-scale, realistic training mission. So let's get right into it. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? How about no, you crazy Dutch bastard? What we've got here is failure to communicate. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. That's cute. I remember when I had my first beer. Why so serious? I am serious. And don't call me sure. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the DTD Podcast. Tonight, we have two great guests. We've had a lot of trouble getting together, but I think we finally figured out the magic potion for it tonight. So let's get right into it. Tom, Jen, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us on, and we're glad we finally made it. (laughs) Yeah, so you guys are doing some incredible things. First off, congratulations on the All Secure book, the Arsenal of Hope book. Uh, which is set to release on February 16th. And you guys have done a lot for veterans and first responders, and we really want to talk about everything that goes into these guys because we've said it numerous, numerous times on the show that a lot of people look at these 
uh, warriors, these first responders, these nurses, these doctors, and they say they're just robots. They do their job. Nothing affects them, and they keep going on with life. And as we all know, that's definitely the furthest thing from the truth. So we want to talk about all that and things that we can do in order to kind of curb some of the bad things that come from that. So, Tom, I want to start with you. First off, I want to talk about your childhood just real quick because I think it's an important thing. The first question that I had is, do you believe that everything happens for a reason? I do. Okay. I do. I, uh, yeah, I didn't. And I didn't before, and I've come to believe that, yes. Yeah, so the reason I ask that is because uh, a big point in your book in the beginning is your childhood bully. Uh, I think everyone had him, but I think that not only did he affect your childhood, but I think he made you the man that you became, um, always wanting to defend, and I think that comes from the situation when your brother came. What do you think about that childhood bully? What sticks out in your mind still to this day about that? Because I know it has to grind around in there. You know, what sticks with me the most was the fact that I did everything in my power to avoid it. And it still happened. I took a different path to the pool. I, you know, I would go different ways every time I would, I would hang out in different parts of, you know, our area in town and they would always show up. And so being kind and throwing my hands up and turning the other cheek where, you know, I just get punched in the other cheek and it sticks with me to this day because there's people that continue to do that and continue to complain about bullies. And I, I tell Jen all the time, I go, there's for every bully out there, there's, there's a bully that's just found his guy or girl that just taught him that day how not to be a bully. And, it, and you got to bump into those people because bullies thrive on that. They thrive on chaos and they thrive on um, fear. And when you stand up to them, they're crushed forever. And, uh, you know, and that's kind of what it did. It did last into my career. It lasted into my whole life livelihood. And I didn't even realize until I wrote the book and, and looked back on it like, wow, that started uh, my lifelong mission of, of ridding people from bullies. And what I think is interesting, when you read a lot of these kind of books, you hear people have some real. Uh, like piss and vinegar against the people they're going against when they're searching. And you were on some main missions looking for some bad dudes all over the world. And that doesn't really come across. You talk about it late in the book about how you got amped up for the missions and things like that, but you never really do it with from an, I guess from an angry standpoint, as a matter of fact, you go so far as to say you have to make yourself angry to go out on the mission. And so I feel like when you talk about the bullies, these guys are bullies on a larger scale. And that's what I got from the book was that that really, you really thought more than a mission of the United States is we have to put this kind of stuff down on a worldwide uh, kind of scale. Uh, would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's people that take advantage of people in every corner of the world to include our corner. You know, people are just, innately designed and enabled to do that, I think. And it's hard to get past the bullies. It's hard to get past them. Um, you know, people try to get groups going. Oh, let's get this group going. And then they just, they, they end up in that back and forth, back and forth. So you can't get anything accomplished from an angry point of view. You have to plan it from a calm perspective. You have to look at the enemy, not angrily, but as a normal human being that has wants and needs like you. So when you do go after them, I would have to get amped up and angry just to prepare myself for that evil that I might have to do. You know, 90% and more of the time people give up. Whoa, I was a badass until just a minute ago. But the, that 10% or less of the time when you go in that door and there's somebody that's just as dedicated as you are, you got to be ready for that. 
Yeah, and and I think that goes across to first responders too, where not necessarily I was a badass till just then, but they're more sad that they were caught than what they did. So they continue to do it. Once they get out of jail, they continue to do it because they're only sad that they're caught. And I think it travels over. Now, Jen, I, I know that there was some trauma in your past in your childhood, if you don't mind talking about it, because I think it kind of shaped who you are too, by looking at families the way you look at them. So if you don't mind talking about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're right. I think all of our experiences shape us. And sometimes we don't even realize it until much later, like Tom revisiting the bully story. Um, I had childhood abuse. Uh, my mother was raised in a schiz- by a schizophrenic father. Um, so, you know, she brought her people, which I didn't know, my mom didn't know, but she had a very traumatic childhood. She brought that traumatic childhood to my childhood, made that traumatic. So, um, you know, yes, absolutely. I'm glad I had the experiences. My mom and I have come to a place of peace and forgiveness, um, which has been huge for my life too. But, you know, I don't think I can relate to these guys in the way that I can. Um, I've never been to combat. I've never been to war. Our stories are very different, but how we felt, um, due to the trauma was similar. And so I think people really, um, and spouses and families as well. I mean, I work with both probably more warrior than spouses. Spouses are starting to come out of the woodwork a little bit more. But, you know, we all have a commonality. We've all been through something to some degree. And um, having some trauma, you know, having gone through the experiences that I have, and then having to heal through that process has definitely formed my life, for sure. And I don't know that I'd be doing what I'm doing without the experiences I had as a child. And it's funny you say that because that was going to kind of be my next question. Without that childhood bully, without that trauma, are you the same person that you are today? No way. I mean, no, I don't. Yeah. I, uh, no, I think everything we do in our lives, we were, we were shown a path. We were shown uh, or pushed in that direction. You know, we're taught everything that we do, everything that we see and witness you know, it's a form of learning and that's what we mimic. And I, I've tried to teach people that and, and, and open people's eyes. I mean, once you think about it, yeah, of course, everything I do, I was taught, you know, we, we sit and we think we're in this, we know so much, you know, we think we know so much. And then you sit and think, you know, like talking to children, they know everything. And um, so when you talk to your, when you talk to your teenage kids, you're like, Oh, I'm glad you know so much more than me. You know, well, you're old. Yeah. I'm old. If I'm twice your age, you know, we were just talking about, um, capture Saddam Hussein. I was like, well, my, my two stepkids weren't even born. One was born a year after that. I'm like, oh man, I'm old. I forgot. <laughs> and I'm like, nobody even knows who Saddam Hussein is anymore. And she's like, well, the kids study a little bit. And it was just realized how long ago things happened, but our minds suck like last week, right? Everything was last week, last year. And I'm like 10 years ago or more. Wow. You know, I, I think that's the same. And I think when you look back on those things, one, you look back and you go, man, I did some dumb things or I did some things that could have ended very badly for me. And you, you start to get wiser. And, and I think with my kids, I raised, I have three daughters. Um, so, uh, I, I look at, I'm sorry. yeah, yeah. I did something before to get punished like this, but, um, I look at when you, when you talk to them about stuff, like you were saying, where you try and tell them stuff, 
And they think that it comes from a place of not anger or anything, but they always tell me, oh, here comes a life lesson. That's what they say to me when they know I'm getting ready to get on a roll. They're like, here comes a life lesson. I'm like, absolutely, because I don't want you to be a dumbass when you get out in the world. So we want to give you life lessons. You can learn from our mistakes. And I think that that goes into you guys' foundation and everything that you do. You can learn from what we did wrong. We are... Uh, I don't know if we would say wise enough, but we definitely have enough candor about ourselves to say what we messed up. And and I think that's a big step forward because if you think about you early in your career, Tom, could anybody tell you anything really? Not a thing. I, you know, yeah, we talk to those young little studs now, the Green Berets, the guys who are going to be, they're just getting ready to go to selection. The guy's just out of basic training, you know, the x-ray program. So right. from the street, to a green beret, you're talking two to three, three and a half years, depending on what you're going for. We're talking to them now four times a year at Fort Bragg, just off the street, just after selection, just before, you know, the Q course and just after the Q course, before you get to a team. So we're giving them that resiliency training. So they've heard it once, they heard it twice, maybe four times before they get to their team. And hopefully they take some of that knowledge with them to the old team sergeants who were like, shut up and rub dirt on it. You know, you'll be fine. Right. You know, we're trying to teach them, hey, you, you have to take care of each other. You have to not just be physically strong because those guys will go to the gym all day long. They'll go to the range all day long and they'll shoot to get better. They'll work out to get stronger. They'll run to get faster, but they won't work on their brain and they think it's a problem to admit it. And we're trying to open that up for people by being the first on the dance floor to throw our dirty laundry out there. Here you go. Here's what we screwed up over and over again and quite badly. I actually screwed up quite well. In hopes that they'll join us and say, oh, well, yeah, we did too. It's not that we hurt each other and we call each other names and we fight, you know, and, and, and now we make rules when, not if we fight. Here's how we'll fight so we don't destroy each other. Here's how we'll help each other out along the way. So we try to bring awareness to everybody, awareness to what you're doing, awareness to what your partner's doing, and not just at work with your, your mates that you care about. You know, you got a family at home. Take care of them. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people, especially when they get into those elite units, uh, I, I talked to Greg Coker last night, by the way. He uh, spoke, spoke very highly of you. Uh, but when they get into those elite units, they, they get so focused in on what they have to do. And I've heard you say it, and I've heard uh, Brad T say it, and stuff that you're always um, – there's always a place where you can leave the unit. There, it's, it's a constant check on you. Like, hey, this could be your last day here. That has to wear on people's brain. It has to. So the question is, how do we continue to make the warfighters that we make? Because it's a very strong uh, possibility that that could go away. I, I interviewed a guy that works at Leonardwood now. And he told me that they call basic training army camp now or something like that. And I was like, what? Come on. No, I, I, he said army camp. And then they, they can't call the, uh, the dining facility, the DFAC anymore. They call it the army restaurant, um, or the army cafe or something. I mean, it was like crazy. So we're, we're in this, we're, we're kind of stuck in this dichotomy of where we're trying to make sure everyone's aware of their feelings and, and their mental awareness and everything. And, and you have to make these war fighters. And like you said, that x-ray program, you got a guy from the street that's going to be an elite operator within a three year time period. How do we bridge that gap? Yeah, we need maturity. I'll tell you, that's the one thing about the unit is the average age of the operators a lot higher. 
you know, and you go into SF, it's, it was typically a lot higher. The Rangers are getting a little lower, you know, it's your baby steps on, on, on your way up in special operations. Age is a hard thing to combat because you, you, you get the, you get the testosterone with that young man, you know, he's crazy. He'll go do anything and you need that. Um, he's young and moldable. His mind is not fully formed. You need that. So he'll go do those things that he would not normally do, but he's not mature yet until he's around 23. His brain's not fully developed. So we're creating these people that think that life is a certain way before they're 23. And then they're going off to war for 10, 20 years in a row, twice a year, maybe, you know, maybe more. And I'm talking twice a year, not 18 months at a time where you go and take everybody and you sit there and you go to the shop and you go out once or twice or six times with your whole, you know, I'm talking three months at a time. You're going out one to 10 times a night over and over and over again. And then 90 days later, you get out of there to get a break. And that break is more training, more wait time just in the States. If you're not mature, that's a part, that's college years for you, right? That's, that's, that's a college party years. And you're in the dorm with all your bros and you're having a good time with guns and explosives and, and things that can change the world. And you can get into trouble quick with a lack of maturity. So you have, we have to watch that. We have to watch these guys and gals not taking care of themselves and not coming back fully to the family at home to where their brains are, you know, seventh group. Oh yeah. You're not, you're not good. till you're on your third wife, you know, and, and the wives know that they joke about it. It's sad. You know, we're going to get a South American honey. It's, it's so ingrained. It's just the normal day-to-day activity, you know? And uh, I mean, I lived it. It's not like I'm looking at it going, Hey boys, you stop what you're doing. I, I did it. I know. And it, and it destroyed me and I see it destroys so many other people. So we're trying to help them with that. It's not what it's supposed to be like. It's not what you're really supposed to do. You can be a warrior and a good husband and and, and, and wife at home as well. You can do both, yeah. but you got to work at both. A- absolutely. And I think that uh, it's, it's almost easier to not be concerned with the at home because I think a lot of people get into that mold that it's always going to be there. It, it It's not leaving. I could have to get out of the army. I could get injured and have to leave. So Jen, do you agree with that? That, that that's kind of the basis of the problem. The foundation of the problem is we get into a mindset. Well, they'll be here. And if they're not here, like you said, Tom, well, I'll just get another one to be here and I'll have someone here. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's, it's part of the problem for sure. Next. Yeah. I, I mean, I even had a wife, um, a couple of wives and we, we speak to the spouses as well. Um, so after we had spoke to the green beret guys in the evening, um, we spoke to the wives and they're young, right? They're, they're the guys that are just out of school. And so these, these wives were all in college still. And I said, do you really feel that way? And they all looked at each other. They're all like, yeah, we're all first wives. I mean, even calling themselves first wives. So, um, you know, and we, he had a, we were on a RMT on a mission and, and one of the commanders was joking. Tom and I are standing there and he said, you're not a real operator until you're on your fourth wife. And so it's just, you know, and they're all kind of laughing and I'm like, but you don't understand when we look at veteran suicide or active duty suicide, 89% of it is due to a family disturbance, something that's happened at home, not at war. And I think people have this idea, like when Tom was have, you know, having his suicidal ideation pretty much daily, it wasn't about um, what happened in Iraq or Afghanistan. It, it was about how he felt here, you know, about his failed marriages, about his failed relationship with his son, feeling unworthy here. Um, so yeah, it's critical that, you know, 
you have this good foundation at home because frankly, your spouse is going to be the one that's going to recognize some of the things that I was able to pick up on him and the things that he was experiencing that some of his best friends, you know, unit and SF didn't even notice. Your boys won't know at work. They're doing the same thing, right? They're doing the same job that you're doing. They're in the same shitty soup bowl you're in. They can't see. It took someone from outside that knew me just a hair to know I was off that day and stopped me from killing myself. My two close friends didn't even pick up on it. Like, well, that's weird. You're not drinking yet, but oh, well, you'll get there, you know, and they're off to go drink. So we need more than our battle buddies at work. We need someone at home that that really is invested in us. And that's, that's our spouses and, and single guys. You're not screwed. I mean, you know, you still have friends. You still have a, a connection other than work. You know, it's, uh, Absolutely. You've got to take care of yourself and, and more than just the weights and the shooting and the running. I mean, it, all they need to be done, all that needs to be done is they need to be taught that. If we made it commando training, right? commando training is mind training and helping you win battles with your mind. People are like, oh, well, that's what I want to do, right? But we made movies about going to war and shooting explosions and coming home with, with medals and, and, and missing an arm and a leg. And he's a, he's a veteran, you know, praise him but we don't talk about what it does to their minds. And cause, cause it's hard to, it's hard to identify. It's hard to figure out who's lying, who's cheating. It's like a back injury, right? You want to, you want to get some money, fake a back injury. So there's a lot of people that fake a lot of PTSD. The guys that dive under the bleachers at the 4th of July show, you know, every, every firework that goes off is like, you knew there was a fireworks show, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, come on, you know, I, you might get me on one backfire on a car or something that's, you know, like anybody else. Whoa, that was scary. And then if I hear gunshots after that, I'm like, okay, there's more gunshots. What's up? You know, but I'm not going to dive under something every time. That's not how PTSD works. So there's always those people that, that set it up for those who have it and make people embarrassed to ask for it. And, you know, and people that lie about it. And then there's people that judge. And so we try to tell people that be more curious and less judgmental about everything in life to include yourself. Like the only thing I know is what I've been taught. And there's so much more out there. So I'm curious to go get that information and learn more about other people, learn more about myself, learn more about cultures, other political parties, whatever you want. There's something you can learn about that'll better you. And you'll never get bored trying. You know, I think it's interesting, though, that you say that where where you say be less judgmental. And if you think about 20 of your years, that was what you were supposed to do every single day was be judgmental about every single aspect of life. I harshly judge people and uh, it's my job, you know, and uh, I have that backing behind me to, to not feel bad about it. But, you know, the, the hard part comes when people start doubting, like say their government or their leaders, like I doubt my leaders and why did I go? And people ask me, well, every, every country we've gone to is still a shithole. So did we do any good? Right. And, and, and for a while I was like, well, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe we are interfering. Well, we took out Saddam and Iraq fell. We took out Tito and Bosnia fell. You know, you take out these leaders in Libya, Oh, Libya fell. You know, we, they were such a hardliners that they kept control because they need that kind of control. And I, and I tell people, well, we're a young country, so give it time. We're going to turn into that too. Our leaders will be hardliners and we'll overthrow them. Right. We're getting close to that. Yeah. So being such a country, people are learning that, wow, it won't happen here. It might happen here unless we get our shit together and quit being so judgmental. You know, the one guy on, on the island with a pistol is the leader, right? Yeah. <laughs> you could have a pistol 
and you're the leader. And if there are no weapons and you got a big machete, you're the leader, right? I mean, it's just one of those things where people need to be less judgmental about the differences in life. And uh, that's that's what I learned a lot about going overseas is, is, yeah, they're the enemy and I have to take it to them and I have to judge harshly. But only my judgment was based on, are you a threat? Not what you believe, not what you believe in, not, not your core values. But if I came into your house, now granted, I'm coming into your house at two in the morning, right? So you come into my house at two in the morning, I'm probably going to grab a gun too, right? <laughs> so yeah, you value my property more than your life. Yeah. And I'm coming into your house and I'm going to shoot you if I see something in your hands. I don't look at your face, your skin color, what you're wearing. I look at two hands on a body. And if I see nothing, I go on. I don't care about you. If I see a, a weapon or any threat, you're dead. Right. And then I come back and figure out what that is. And that's where a lot of problems happen with um, muscle memory replacing morality. And then you have that moral injury later that comes up as you think about, I killed a lot of people and I didn't even look at them until after they were dead. I didn't talk to them. I didn't ask them questions. They had a knife or a gun or, or something. And now I can look back and go, well, I did just kick in their door. I would do the same thing. And then I would be dead maybe, or maybe I'm better than the guy coming in the door if I'm lucky. So I try to take back that judgment and I go I, and I remain curious as to, OK, what were your beliefs that got you there? What were my beliefs that got me here? And I'm sorry, but hey, I'm, I'm going to go home now. So, you know, it's not one of those things that, that breaks me up for the rest of my life, but it's something that you have to think about. You have to be honest about like you're taking someone's life who thinks he's the good guy. Right. Well, they think they're the good guys, too. Let's talk about that, because there were a couple points in the book where you talk about this. I want to talk about the teenager that uh, was on the bed um, that was uh, you kind of saw take his last breaths. And I really want to talk about the Halloween battle uh, where a guy was probably just guarding a generator to keep the power on. Uh, you moved him over thinking you were moving him to the right spot and you ended up putting him down right in front of his family. So when you do that, don't you kind of have to be judgmental and know right then? And and this is kind of where it comes to was, don't you have to kind of be judgmental and know you can't second guess, your, guess yourself? You you have to know you were there for right. I, I never second guessed myself on target. Um, I found myself after hits, before I would lay down, or as I was laying in bed, praying, if you will, if I was praying, hoping and wishing that everything I did that night was validated, right? That everything I did was for the right reasons, right? That I didn't make a mistake. I did that every night. Um, just as I went out before I hit every night, I was, please help me make the right decisions for my men, you know, not for me, but for my men. Let me, let me not put anybody in a bad, bad spot. So the leadership part is what takes its role. But I, uh, I don't know if it was judgment or lack of empathy and lack of um, compassion that I think I lost in Somalia. You know, when you're trapped by thousands of people and they all want you dead. You know, I was on the other end. People right. want me dead now and I was losing and I knew I was losing. Right. I'm the, I'm now I feel like I'm the back. I'm the foreigner, right? I'm the foreigner in, in uh, Somalia and I'm in someone else's home. And I'm surrounded by thousands of people who know where they're at and what the streets do and, and, and you know, and uh, where the ammo is. And I don't. And none of my friends did. And so I lost empathy and compassion because I thought and I knew I was going to die that night. So I. When I made it, made it out the next day and, and made it out alive um, after seeing all of the carnage, I. 
I promised myself I would never go through that again. I would train harder. I would learn more. I would do more. And I would never be in that situation again. And all I did was focus at work. I started thinking after three wives that I was the common denominator. <laughs> maybe. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the guy that's here during all this. So maybe it is me. <laughs> well, and, and that's the point that I wanted to bring up. Do you think that's where the PTS started? Because Absolutely. right then you make that conscious decision to say, this will never happen to me again. No matter yeah. what it takes, no matter what goes away from me, this, this situation will never, ever happen again. That fear, that level of fear and that level of resolve, like it's over. Like I knew I was dead. I could still feel it to this day that I was dead. And I, uh, up until years ago, I didn't care about, I, on the surface, I cared about things, but I didn't care. I didn't care. As long as I did my job right, I was there on time and my men had what they needed and I couldn't be judged at work. Right. Because home was easy. Home was easy. Work was where you died. So that's where I focused. And that's what we try to tell people. Um, it's not just military. You know, it's it's anybody that does a job that needs to do it well enough that they have to focus on it all day at the job. They have to focus on it when they're not at the job so they can be better at the job, which takes your personal time away from you, especially in jobs where you don't have time during the job to get better at your job because you're doing your job all day. You know, I eat law enforcement. I'm I'm working all day. I, I don't have time to go get better at my job unless my my training coordinator, my boss puts it in the schedule, which, oh, by the way, that gets screwed up all the time. So, you know, I don't have that opportunities and I don't get to get better. But all, all I had my entire life was the opportunity to improve. And I put my head down. And that's all I did. I'm like, I'm never going back to that. I'm never doing Somalia again. And, and I and nothing was getting in my way to include a family. Can we, uh, I want to lighten it for just a minute, uh, because I want to talk about that Halloween battle because so much shit went wrong in that battle. Uh, just can we walk through it real quick? I just, when I read it in the book, I was like, I cannot believe all this stuff is going on. Like you're there for something and you, first off, you have a guy that doesn't know which door he's going to. So he's just here and there and and all over the place and then you have uh, an uh, an officer that's not doing his job so can can you just walk us through that one because i think that's one of the big battles that i thought in the book like wow yeah the halloween battle was uh, <clears throat> a change for someone else's life for sure um and we did it with with the sas you know they came with us and then we brought um a couple of tanks and a couple of bradley fighting vehicles with us too because it was fallujah and it was Halloween night. So we're rolling in to Fallujah and I'm, I'm in the back of a Humvee. I think we took Humvees this time with us because, you know, we needed ladders and things. Whatever reason it drove the Humvees. And the funny thing is I forgot about this. And I don't, it's not in my book, I don't, I don't think. Um, as on our way to the hit, we're on one of the main roads into Fallujah, you know, coming in out of Baghdad. And, and I hear this, you know, I'm, I'm on the radio and I'm, I'm, I'm on the navigation, but we have people navigating for us. I'm in charge. I'm watching just to make sure. And I'm like, okay, we should be coming up. I'm calling in checkpoints. And all of a sudden I hear this break, break, break. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I know what break, break, break means. We're going to crash. And uh, somebody had missed the turn up front. We're, you know, we're moving out. We're moving out fast because you don't get IEDs. And I just knew we were going to crash, man. I heard the break, the tires squealing in the Humvee and we got ladders and people everywhere. And I just, I just braced. And we're like, we were just smacked in the back of the Humvee in front of us. And everybody flew forward. I'm like, oh, you know, I lost my breath. I'm like, oh my God, what happened? Are we dead? And you know, okay. 
So can we continue the mission? You know? <laughs> yes. Okay. So made it through that crash, got everything back on the vehicles in turn and went in and, and before the hit, during the planning, you know, I let the team leaders plan and, and the officer tried to change the plan back at, uh, in Baghdad. And I'm like, no, 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 you're not going in the door. I, if anybody changed, I'll change it. You're not changing it. You're like new. And, and I said, I'm not changing it because they're the ones going in the door. I'll go in right behind them and scoop up the bad guys and start talking to them. But if they're comfortable, they're good. And they're, and by the way, they're qualified and highly trained. So don't, don't change their plan. So he waits until we get in front of the regular army unit that we brought with us. And the tanks and the Bradley guys were there. And the SAS guys were running. We're on the hood of a vehicle in Ramadi, getting ready to go out and head towards Fallujah for the hit. And he's, we're going over the plan, and, and the officer changes it. He changes the plan back to what he wanted to change it to. And I wasn't going to jump up in front of another colonel and another, you know, army units and, and do that. Um, soldiers standing around in the dark listening. I'm like, I'm not going to start this. I went back to the team leaders. I'm like, all right, hey, here's here's the new plan. They're like, what the hell's going on? I'm like, just do it. No one's going to get killed doing it. But doing that, he didn't get the intel report that the house had changed. So we rolled up. The Brits parked right in front of the new target building, literally parked all their vehicles right in front, got out and hit the original target building. We rolled up and I hit, I don't know where I went. I went down a whole block of streets hitting houses, looking for this guy, you know, looking for whatever we're looking for. And I'm here, hit the next house. Poor people that live there, but, you know, sorry, I wasn't going to go back home or put guys' lives in danger for nothing. So I would try to do the job fully before I went back home. Finally made it around the block, found a, a police checkpoint, talked to them, made it back to the house we started at. Brits are going back to their vehicles. It's over. There's nothing. I can't even imagine these 10 or 15 bad guys inside this house wearing their black track suits and their RPGs freaking out with everybody parked out front, how they remain quiet for so long. And uh, the Brits decided to do less time. Hey, can you imagine that? Right. I mean, yeah. these guys were inside watching Eastone cop shit go on everywhere, but their house. <laughs> and they had RPGs and guns on the roof and, and they were ready. And, and I'm across the street and I'm looking and the Brits are like, well, hey, mate, we're going to take one more house. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, man, let's just get out of here. And I'm on the roof. And as soon as they opened the gate, it was RPK fire. First guy's dead. Second guy's wounded. The gate, you can't get through the gate. All the Brits. And now they're just shooting at their vehicles. We can't shoot at the house because all of the Brit vehicles, the pinkies are lined up in front of it. I'm pulling the Bradleys around and I you know, helicopters are coming in and, I got guys in, at, at, uh, in Baghdad, you know, my boss is like, hey, we're going to send some MLRS. I'm like, no, you're not, man. I'm, I'm literally across the street. You're not launching rockets and shit. Everybody wants to get involved. I get it, but not not tonight. And uh, the the officer was calling our fire from the from the little birds. And he's like, woo, hell yeah, baby. You know, rocket fire. And I'm like, shouldn't you be doing your job? You know, we have a fire support officer here. We have this guy here. I mean, we're the unit that has everybody so we can do our own jobs and you're doing his job. It's like, yeah, I love it, baby. And then it was time to go to the house and he's, he's doing the same thing. Like, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge of accountability. I'm in charge of inside the target. He's in charge of everything outside on up. He's like, I want to go inside. I'm like, that's not your job. Well, I want to go inside. I'm like, well, then I'll stay outside and do your job then. And he went inside the house. They were pretty much dead. A couple people needed killing and some jumped out the bag and the Brits got him, but I mean, I've got I've calling in helicopters to get out the dead, you know, the Brits and, and put them on a, a medevac for the wounded. But they jumped in vehicles and took off. So there were people everywhere. And I'm in charge of Manning. So I'm freaking out trying to get everyone together, figure out who's what. I finally figured it out. And now the Brits are starting to yell at me. Let's go clean another block, mate. And I'm like, oh, God, 
God, I think we're done here, man. I think we're done. Are you are you not good? You lost a guy, another couple wounded. You took off and left me without telling me you left. I got a helicopter I brought in for no reason. Our rockets raining down from God knows where. It's time to go home. We got about 15 dead dudes over there in the house. We just rubbled. He's like, ah, right, you know, and we just loaded up and took off. And and um, we got back. And my my higher bosses saw the look on my face. And I walked in. I go outside, please. <laughs> Walked out on the front deck and I go, it's either him or me. It's either him or me. I'm ready anyway. You know, I'm I was ready to be done anyway. So I was looking for a reason to go home anyway. And they're like, all right, send him out. And I went, huh? Oh, okay. And I go into the room because we were roommates, you know, he's, he's my boss. And um, I said, hey, the boss wants to see you outside on the front porch. He goes, hey, what's going on? I, go, I don't know. He just has to see you. <laughs> so I laid down and put my feet up thinking, oh, shit, I'm starting. A big one here you know and uh he came back in and just looked at me and started packing his bags and he got on a helicopter and flew to Balad, and that was it and they gave me another officer later that ended up great but you know we can make you a general in that building because there's guys there that have been there for years and they've worked with the same guys and they can make anybody look good you know but if you come in and you're like let me tell you how to do your job you're not going to last long in that that building and it doesn't mean you're not a good officer or a good person. It's just you're not going to be good here. So that's why he ended up leaving. Um, I think you said that he was ended up being nice. a great special forces officer, though, right? Yeah. 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 And he did. And he was. But it was just one of those where, you know, when you're surrounded by guys who don't need to be told what to do. I mean, my job was easy. I'm, I'm an E9. I'm a command sergeant major in charge of sergeant majors. <laughs> Whoa, that's hard, you know. <laughs> And then you get officers come in trying to tell people what to do, like they're privates. And it's like, what? It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm 48 years old. I'm, I'm a 45-year-old man. And you're coming in screaming at me out of college. And it's not going to work here at this building. And so, you know, he learned that lesson. But he's still a great officer. He's just uh, too excitable and didn't listen enough. But, you know. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. So, Jen, I want to go to you because the next part that I want to talk about, because, of course, the PTS has kicked in. We've already talked about it. Uh marriages by this time this happened what marriage were you on tom oh, trace God. you were number three what, 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 what's happening what happened that halloween right halloween? oh party. yeah i would have been on my third okay wife. Yep. so jen i want to go to you <laughs> I, I like how you said halloween it was uh okay three uh i want to talk to you because you were married before tom too um yes but you yes. talk about well, Tom, you talk about different things in your book from your point of view, Jen, um, where things weren't bad, but they were bad. And that was your only husband before Tom, correct? Yes, I met so, him in college. Right. So you have this company that's thriving together. You, you have everything going. There's a lot of stressors going on. And you kind of just continue through life like, we'll just get through it. It's whatever we'll, we'll do it. And, right. and you finally get to a point where you can't do that anymore. So it's different from when Tom figures those things out because two of those women were just gone when he got home. So that, that made the decision quickly for him. Uh, yeah. And listen, when I read that, I have a buddy, one of my best friends from the military, his wife did the exact same thing. Uh, yeah. We were just on a training exercise and he came home and I mean, the ice cubes, the ice cubes were gone. The, the t roll of toilet paper, all the toilet paper was gone. It was just the roll. I mean, it was, it was bad. They'll leave nothing. 
Oh, yeah. no, I don't mean yeah. that. So, Skinner going, soldiers, is there a Soldiers and Sailors Act that prevents this from happening? And then I went out to the shed and pulled out a, a lawn chair and slept in that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think he had a couple ketchup packets and like he was like, man, my house is empty. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, no, I mean, it's empty. So uh, yeah, it, it was not a good thing. So yours is a little different, Jen. So how do you start to realize like, I don't think this is going to work. I don't, you know, we have all these cause they're different stressors, but they're still stressors. Uh, you're raising these kids and from everything that I read, you guys are great co-parents and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. We're still great friends. It's kind of funny. We, um, and, and thank God for that because, you know, really we do have children together that we love. Um, and you know, we met, I was in college still. And I think with my ex Mark, we, we became best friends. And so truly, um, I married my best friend and I thought, you know, I had come through so much with childhood abuse. Um, I was raped at 18 and so I had gone through so much by that time. I met somebody who was very kind, very supportive. Um, I met the good guy. You know, I met the guy who really. Wait a minute. Yeah. You're, Wait a minute. You're a different kind of guy. <laughs> I love that story. He's right there next to you. He can hear everything you're saying. Oh, you. <laughs> I'm actually Facebook friends with his ex-wife, too. So I, oh, I do well, like everybody. She's not friends. Oh. Not friends with me. <laughs> which one though? I, that, which is that a good question to ask? Which one? All three of them? Three. Oh no, okay. no, no! I was like, oh, all no. three of them. Three. First Sorry. one's dead. Second one's so we don't count. She was a blip. So yeah, that was the that was the stripper wife. So uh, there it is. <laughs> Listen, there it is. I thought about bringing it up, but thought better of it. So. Uh, no. All right. So, so you're married, your best friend, you're, you're finding someone yeah. that, that just wants to, I guess, kind of take care of you. Opposite. It was somebody I could take care of. Okay. So I, you know, I'm, I'm a nurturer and, uh, we both were in the art world together. We, uh, worked together. We had a studio together. And I think over time, our friendship and our work relationship took over everything else. So by the time I got divorced, you know, it was tough. That year of the divorce was awful. You know, there's, there's no easy way through it. Um, or at least not that I found and, and the fact that he and I were really amicable during the divorce. And even then it was tough. I can't imagine going through it, you know, in a really bad place, but we had realized, you know, we were better friends. We were better you know, work partners, we love and adore our children together, but, um, neither of us, you know, we had so many of these honest conversations after we decided it was done and we really just sat down as friends and talked, including with his new girlfriend. Like people are like, just because I'm not in love with you doesn't mean that I can't love you. And so, you know, it doesn't I, mean you have to hate, right? You know, right. You don't right. A lot of people think if I can't love you, I have to hate you. Yes. You have, we have to break up angrily. So. Or it has to be this romantic love. And I tell my kids, we're always family. You know, he that's your father and I'm your mother and we will always be family. But we just include other people into our, into our group. And really, I mean, it sounds woo-woo-wee or whatever else, but I just... 
I, I don't have it in my heart to hate. He's never done anything to make me hate him. Um, and so we get to be friends. We get to be co-parents. The first time he came into town was dinner with my ex and his now wife. So that he's blew, like, we that don't blew do- my mind. I was goes, freaking out. Like, <laughs> I'm, used, I'm used to guys that'll kill you. Like, uh, he, he's not gonna kill me, is he? You know. <laughs> and then I saw him. He's like six five. I'm like, I'm like five ten. I'm like, okay, this is where I die. <laughs> this is where I die. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Except he's never been in a fight in his life, and he's very art world kind of guy. So like, if I could have swung the pendulum any further from Mark to oh, Tom, that's absolutely. what it would have been. Opposite. It's like Completely. an election year. It's like an election year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so I want to, because here's, that's kind of what I wanted to get to from the book. You picked that up. So Tom, I want to go back to your relationships. Okay. Uh, not the first two. Let's not talk about those. Cause those, like you said, are kind of blips. Let's talk about the third one though. Um, there's an actual relationship there. There's a child there. There's everything. And you mentioned over and over in the book, when you were overseas, all you wanted to do was go home and be normal, be a dad, be a husband, uh, just, you know, like a, I kept thinking like a TV sitcom, you, you wanted to do that. But every time you came home, it got messed up somehow, every single time. And so I started thinking, reading the book, I'm like, okay, you want this, you push towards it. But every time it gets in front of your face, you push it away again. So I, I just kind of want you to go a little more in depth in the book and talk about the mind state of it. Because when a person reads it, and especially someone who hasn't been in the military, hasn't been a first responder, just your average Joe will see it and think, that's crazy. That's not even a real thing. And so they take you as um, giving out false things that, that you're – you're building something up on you that really wasn't there, but it is there. So can yeah. you go into the mind state behind it? Every time it was in your grasp, you pushed it away. Yeah. I, you know, and I can, I can answer easily and then go into why I had no tools to do the job I wanted to do. Okay. I wanted to have a home life. I wanted to reconnect and, and, and get to know my son and get on the floor and play with him. But nobody taught me the tools to do that. I now have the tools and we teach the tools to do that. And we share that with people. You know, get on the floor and play with your children. The thing, you know, if you don't listen to their little problems, they won't come to you with their big problems. I did all that. I have a 22-year-old son that won't, he barely talks to me. You know, he'll answer my, hey, I love you too, dad, a month after I text him. You know, he'll, you know, hey, happy Thanksgiving. I love you. Hope you're having a great day. Like, you know, New Year's. Hey, happy Thanksgiving too, dad. I love you. And, oh, by the way, happy Christmas and New Year's. Oh, yeah, birthday. But, you know, so it's it's one of those, I earned it. And I'm still trying to fix it, but yet I won't, I won't give it away. Right. Because I don't, maybe I'm stupid. You know, Jen's always like, <laughs> yeah. call your son, call your son, call your son. I'm like, text your son. I go, I've been texting him. I've been calling him. He doesn't want it. I'm not going to keep doing it. I'm not going to keep pushing it. He's a man now. He, you know, and so I'm still making excuses, but I didn't have the tools back then when I'm deployed overseas and I'm doing my job. And, and, you know, the first month and a half, two months, you're like, whoo. End of this, and now you're starting to think about home. You got a month left, and you're about to go home and in a month, and you, but you still have missions. Thinking, man, I'm tired. I want to go home. I want to raise my son. You know, I'm, I'm sick of screaming at him on the phone. His mom's like, yell at your son. He won't listen. So I'm yelling at my son from Iraq, you know, on a sat phone because he won't listen to his mom in North Carolina. And I'm I'm the bad guy every time. 
So when I came home, all I did was take him to Atlanta's Paradise Island. You know, I would take him to Hawaii. I would take him somewhere. Let's go on a trip. Let's have so much fun. And it spoiled him to where he expected it. And then I got angry, you know, that he didn't appreciate anything. So I was screwing it all up with no tools on how to live a life with a family. I didn't have those tools. Had I been taught those tools like we try to teach people now, I could have utilized them come back and say, hey, try something else and had a relationship with my son at a younger age, had a relationship with my wife back then. You know, I'm glad I didn't. Well, me too. But, but talking about it now and you asked about it, but yeah, <laughs> I'm using the tools now with this relationship that I didn't use, you know, with my previous ones, you know, and my ex, uh, we don't talk much. She's angry. Um, she's less angry as much as she's moved on. You know, and she had not, you know, my son lives with her. Our son lives with them, you know, with her and her husband. <laughs> and uh, I think she's just one of those tough ones that, and she's made comments like, great. I spent, you know, this many years with the shit and now they're going to, somebody else is going to get the good stuff. You know? It wasn't obvious. Okay. I'm like, well, I don't know if you, I don't <laughs> That's know, if you know what happened friends. after I met Jen, but it was a horrible, horrible, oh horrible beginning. To oh, our listen, we're, we're definitely Definitely getting into that story. So all that, you know, somebody else gets the best part of you didn't play out. She thought, oh, someone gets the retired Tom who's chill, which took another seven years to get near there, near chill. Kind of. Right? Kind of. <laughs> you know, I'm starting to accept I'm a different human being. So I, I, I get angry so mad. And then I get so mad again because I'm like, I'm just a different human being. I can't let shit go. I can't let things go. I can't not train people. I can't not teach the better way or the way or a way because, you know, you might need it one day, right? You might die. And so I'm trying to teach the kids that, you know, if you're going to do skills. something, you do it right, damn it, or don't do it all, or you're wasting your time. You know, I mean, these life skills that my dad taught me, I teach with that you're going to die attitude versus you just need to be a good boy and learn and say nice things and work hard. I'm like, or you'll die at the end of it. You know, so I had the or you'll die miserably at the end of it, trying to sink it oh, home. Yeah. But, you know, that, I just didn't have the tools back then. I wanted a family. I wanted to be normal, but I was trained at work. I wasn't trained at home. So work was easier. So I went back to work. As soon as I got home, I'm like, oh my God, this is horrible. I don't have any tools to do this shit. I'm going back to work now. And I'd go back to work and, and feel normal again. So at, at this time, when we're talking about this, all of this is kicked in full blast. Uh, injuries, pain medicine, alcohol, you're going full blast on it. How is it affecting the home life? Because, <laughs> because you say at first you're like, yeah, I didn't go out with the guys when we got back. And then you get a couple pages more into the chapter. So I started going out with the guys again at the bar. And, you know, so like, how do you even start to explain that? Like you've been gone for months, come home. I'm not going to be at home either. I, I just, yeah, there's not much explaining because as soon as we got home, um, for those who were married to wives that worked, their wives still had to work unless you plan that time off. You know, if you had kids, then their kids are in school. So depending on when you come home, it, the breaks weren't really breaks. The vacations aren't vacations. The time off is just because the army won't let you have that much time off. So you got to burn it or leave, lose it anyway. So they make you take it and come to work at the same time. 
but you're like, oh, I'm going to spend some time home. Oh, oh, wait a minute. These three months are a train up month. So now I'm home. Here's the week and a half off after I cleaned up for 10 days. Oh, by the way, that's a week and a half. <laughs> so now that leaves over and my gears all cleaned up and turned in, it's time to go training again. And um, so we're going around climbing or jumping or driving. We're doing cool stuff, right? I'm going out with five guys, staying in hotels, eating out every night and driving race cars, NASCAR, climbing mountains, skiing. I mean, it's a fun God, I would have hated it. It's him. a fun job. See why the wives, they come back. She didn't want to hang out with them either. <laughs> She's like, where have you been and what are you doing? Yeah, so. But you didn't do even all tell the- her, right? Like, the, the, Jim brings up a great question when they say, where have you been? What have you been doing? You don't even tell her. And a lot no, of that is, is operational yeah. security. A lot of it's operational security. And the other half of it is you know better. You know better. I was in Israel and we had a really great time. What were you doing? Well, the kids vomited and they got school and I had to drive to work and back and forth. I didn't want to bring it up. I don't want to bring it up, you know? And then when I'm at home and then my wife had a baby and like a month later, I was in Bosnia for three months. And I was like, whoo, thank God for that. I didn't even know she lost her mind, her mom for a month or two and help her with my son because she was losing it and being alone and trying to write. And, and he cried a lot, man. When I was home, I was like, I was up all night with my foot rocking him on. And, it, you know, you know the deal. And you're like, uh, and you're up again. You're like, uh, that was her only break was when I was home and I was never home. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we're Facebook friends. Cause I, I can feel for her. Like at first he's like, you keep taking her side and she's the ex. And I'm like, I mean, I hope I don't, I can see it. Though. I hope I don't sound like I blame I her much or, or at all in my book, but you I know, there's know. a part for everyone to play, but I hope it didn't sound like I, uh, I mean, she didn't certainly didn't play that part of I'm going to fight for you, but it was also, I wasn't there for her and I get it. You know, I get it. I don't blame her for anything. Um, I'm sure she blames me for a lot, but I don't blame her for anything because I put her through a life that I wouldn't have wanted to hang around for. You wouldn't have hung around. No, for I mean, no way. Not a lot of people hang around for that. So I guess the next question would be, do you falter for that? Hmm. No. No. Um, almost to a fault, I blame myself too much. Okay. And she'll step a little bit and say, hey, you know, she was an adult. She also could have done certain things. And I look back, I'm like, yeah. And we teach spouses now, you know, hey, you play a part. You don't flirt with your husband or your, you know, if you don't flirt, someone will. If you don't tell them they look nice, someone will. If you don't have a relationship, they'll develop one somewhere else. Spouses do the cheating, you know, the men do the cheating, or the veteran or the, the active duty person does the cheating. It, it's 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 if you don't flirt and you don't date who you're with, and we teach everyone flirt and, and, and go on dates and, and and be connected, you know, be connected to who you're married to instead of just paying the bills and raising the kids. Mm-hmm. We, we know so many people that have just agreed without agreeing on, on a relationship of you're gone. I don't really like you anymore. Right. We've grown apart. You grow apart if you don't grow together. And I'm raising the kids. This is our plan. When you come home, you just get in the way. So when they come home, you just we just do things separately. But together we go out to eat. And we, but you're not married. It's not a relationship. So we try to help people with actual relationships because if I don't flirt with her and I don't tell her how pretty she is, someone does and that feels good. And then that's where that attention goes. And that's how it happens with, with anybody. Well, so let's go back to you, Jen. That's what happened, right? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. (laughs) See, I knew it. (laughs) 
And there it is. He he was the, uh, what what did she say? He was the nice guy. You're the smart guy, Tom. <laughs> I'm the bad boy. That's okay. I'm the bad boy. Everybody's got to have the bad boy for a little bit. And I think right. she said that one time. She yeah, when we met, I mean, honestly, you were just that bad boy. You were just that nobody wanted you, but you're fun to, you were a toy, right? <laughs> you're a little toy. A little toy. Nah, I don't know. You weren't that fun to play with, but <laughs> well. I kind of liked you, but. Yeah, it is what happens and can happen. And, you know, um, it's it's about growing apart or growing together in so much of life. And, and you know, when you discover that your spouse is a roommate versus a spouse, then you've got to make some decisions. You know, where are you at? Um, where do you want to go? And we talk about that all the time with people. Like, are you guys even on the same page? Are you even in the same book? And they're like, I have no clue. And I'm like, you need to find out, like, do you even know what your spouse dreams about or wants anymore? Or what are they passionate about now? Cause you know, now he's 54 almost tomorrow and um, I'm 53 right now, by the way, happy birthday. Yeah. I noticed how you put that today. I'm 53 for one more day. Yes. <laughs> but you know, it, you grow apart at certain points in your age and it can happen or it, it cannot. We, we have friends that, you know, military guys that have been married for 25 from a friend of ours, 33 years. It's not impossible. It's just the lifestyle is really difficult. And um, like he said, it can happen to anyone. I was an art director. I was a photographer, filmmaker, you know? Um, but I had gotten to the point where Mark and I were roommates and we both knew it, you know, we were living side by side and, and not together. Stuff happens. The last thing that I want to bring up about the military, Tom, um, because I, I thought I think that this was probably uh, your best writing in the whole book. I, I'm I'm not joking. Is your retirement ceremony? I think it's the most raw, uh, emotion-filled <laughs> chapter in the entire book, and and there's so many. You you see sadness you see rage you see everything in just the words you put and i have to talk to you about it because when we're done i want to bring up uh one other thing kind of from the past to kind of bring them together but you looked at your retirement as a slap in the face so painful you have given 25 years 20 of them in this unit correct um yes you have lost, uh, well, two, on your way to losing your third wife, your son, uh, more injuries than you can count, you're hooked on pain pills, you're drinking too much alcohol, you're all these, you're the absolute exact opposite of what you set out to be, and you've given all this stuff, and they tell you, uh, we want to have a retirement ceremony for you. Why don't you come? Why don't you come? And they keep pushing you and keep pushing you. You just kind of wanted to go away. You're a command sergeant major. Of course, you're supposed to be given the colors and everything. You get there and you know right away something's wrong. Mm. You're approached in the parking lot. And when you ask for answers, because quite frankly, after 25 years and 20 in that unit, you deserve the answers that you ask, especially on this day. And you're not given any, so walk us through it because I'm telling you, this was the most, even with all the fighting, the battles, everything, this was the most intense chapter of the book. I think it hurt the most. Um, and, and I caused it. I, I caused a lot of it, but people are human too. So, you know, 
couple of people say, oh, you're kind of trashing the unit. I'm like, I'm trashing the unit. I mean, I'm speaking the truth. If you think that's trashing the unit, I'm sorry. That's your opinion. But I'm talking about humans who made decisions that worked in a unit that were also screwed up um, at the time, you know, mentally. And it was one of those things where, okay, you know, I'm just going to leave on retirement. I'm not going to have her. You know, I, I'm not big on that stuff anyway. So um, I was going to get out. And so one of the officers who I put through OTC uh, as his instructor, who is now um, the commander of the 82nd Airborne Division, was like, hey, Tom, come back to your old squadron, because he was the C squadron commander at the time. Come back to your old squadron. We'll do a retirement ceremony for you there. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. He's like, D you got to do it. You talked me into doing it. So that's the, there was a golf tournament that day for the unit. It was uh, one of those special weeks, and there was a golf tournament that day. So people were out. I'm thinking, all right, it'll be small, no big deal. I showed up in civilian clothes, man. I, you know, I, I just, and General Miller, Scott Miller, um, VTC'd in from Afghanistan as a, as a surprise. And I'm, I'm standing up front, and I, I look down, and I realize that there's an award that I already have six other awards of the same one, like I don't know, Army Achievement Medal, whatever it was. I forgot. I mean, I threw it away. Um, as my retirement gift, the ceremony gift, and I was like, whoa. You know, and uh, and there wasn't unit colors. So I saw this unit sergeant major in the parking lot. And I'm like, hey, uh, I noticed that I didn't get a Legion of Merit. It was downgraded. Right. We should have got a Legion of Merit for Saddam. I could have gotten a Legion of Merit 10 years ago if I'd have left the unit, but I didn't. Why am I not getting one now? Well, I, you know, what can I tell you? The last two years, Tom. And I said, I don't know. The last two years I did exactly what you asked me to do. You know, when a sergeant major is retiring and no longer a position, it's like, what do you want to do? I'll, I'll do anything. I didn't care. So I was working over at Range 37, helping the SF guys do CQB and teaching over there, which another general had asked me to do. And I did that. And uh, but I wasn't at the unit. I was still assigned to the unit, but I never went. I just went, you know, a mile down the road and helped the SF guys. And I check in every now and then. he's like, well, the last two years. I'm like, what do you mean the last two years? He's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. And I, and I just I, I got that's what I figured, you know, the baddest people in the world can't get in a face-to-face -face confrontation with somebody and tell them the truth, right? Too nerve-wracking. You can't can't articulate why I can't. I don't deserve an award I could have gotten 10 years ago, right? And then I walked into the room, and I, and I noticed on the table of gifts, which is usually full of gifts because gifts are pretty free, right? So after somebody spent 20 years in a unit, you can throw them all kinds of shit, and it costs 10 bucks. Make them feel good, and it really means nothing. And there wasn't much on the table other than the triangle that says thanks, which is very important to me. You know, the 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 low level, hey, you did it on your own, so thanks. You know, you don't you don't need all that thanks. But unit colors, I didn't get unit colors either. And I tell you what, General Miller talked for an hour on that VTC about how great I was. And the whole time I stood there wanting to throw up. You know, I got a, a classroom full of people. My son, who's pinned on this stupid award on me, I already got PTSD to the max, and I can't believe that I'm getting shit on like this. And I look back now, and I'm like, well, I created a lot of that environment, and everyone else is screwed up too. Oh, by the way. And so it took years. I mean, man, when, when I was on my way to dinner that evening, I... I mean, I had to jump out of the car and throw up. I just, I was, I wasn't drinking. You know, people probably thought I was drinking. I was like, I got to pull over now. And I got out. I just ran into the woods and started throwing up. I was so, so destroyed that I could never go back. And I don't think I went back for years. I don't think I went back for any get together for years um, until I went with her. And, 
And she kind of talked me into going. And when we went, it was because she was my security blanket. And I, I didn't feel welcome there. I didn't feel good there. And yet now I'm starting to find out that's not true. You know, there's guys in the unit that need help and, and, um, and we're trying to give it to them. And we're, we're finally getting meetings with four star generals and three star generals to do exactly that coming up. But it's been 10 years since I retired. And that was a long 10 years of wondering my worth and wondering, you know, why all that turned out to, to the surprise I just got the other day um, from a general. I don't want to say it because it's unofficial. Like, hey, we were looking at the awards in Somalia and we looked at yours, your bronze star with Valor. And unofficially, we're going to upgrade it to a silver star. And I was like, you know, Jen's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, you're so, so cool. I'm like, same event, different award. Nothing else <laughs> happened. So no big deal. And I immediately went, is there any financial, is there any schools associated with the silver star? Is there anything, <laughs> is there any worth, is there worth to this? Because 20 years later, 10 years after the fact, the worth to it is really gone to me. You know, when you see, oh, so-and-so from Vietnam finally got his air medal or finally got this. And I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. But then I look at it, I'm like, oh, well, how'd they feel about it? You know, this but, many years later. But here's the question, Tom. It was so important back then, but just 10 yeah. years removed, it doesn't mean anything. Nope. I've grown up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I've grown up a lot in that 10 years and I've realized that that what meant so much at the time is important at the time, but it was just a job, right? It was just a job. There's other people doing my job now. There's other people doing it probably multiple times since I've left. The place didn't go to shit. I don't know all the secrets anymore and I'm fine. And I realized, wow, you know, once you get off that fast moving train and you, you stop tumbling and you get up and rub the dirt off, you're like, well, the train's gone and now I'm all alone. You know, you're like, well, I, you know what? I can do this. I did it before. I can do it again. And I can do anything. And I don't need that accomplishment to define me. It was part of my past that built who I am. And I'll use the tools that I learned along the way to help other people. But, you know, I've learned to let go of the bitterness. I've learned to place blame where it belongs. You know, I wasn't a very friendly guy. I, uh, and I figured out we'll just go back and help those who need help now. So they can make better decisions along the way and not make the ones I made or other people made. Hopefully do a better, you know, live a better life when they're done. In saying all that with the retirement, to me, I saw the bully all over again. Mm. Kind of uh, came full swing back to you. You, you've given everything. You've done everything you were supposed to. And like you said in the beginning, you go a different way to the pool. You do this, you do that. And it still happens. You do all of this stuff for the unit and they still do that to you in the end. And so I see that in the book and I was, I mean, you were, you actually said you had never felt so alone in your life. And then we talked 10 years from that, 10 years removed. Doesn't mean shit. Doesn't mean anything. No, I mean, it, it, it's emotional to, to think on that day. Um, but when I look back now with a calmer head and a clearer mind, I, I look back and I try to help people with stop living that last high school touchdown pass you through. Stop living in the rearview mirror of your glory days. Right. Make new ones. I, if I live in my past, which is 10 years gone from retirement, 30 years from the day I got there. Why am I living that dream? Right. Why am I living that dream when I should be making more dreams? 
using the experience of the past, but not living in it, not living in the misery, but taking what I learned and, and bettering my future and, and helping others with it. So I choose not to dwell in that anymore. So it's like, oh, you got a silver star now. Oh, from 1993. <laughs> thank you. Is there any financial reward with that? Because if not, thank you. It's a silver star. We're I'm not going to go re, We're looking to redecorate the office. Is there anything <laughs> that, that can go with that? Now so, I got to change write-ups and all of my books and everywhere else and say there's a silver star there now instead of five bronze stars two v's and i got four and one v and a silver so it screws everything up really yeah i mean you're gonna have to redo that entire shadow box so <laughs> trash right so away. one more thing that i want to ask you about because i've heard you have a lot of shit stories from over when you deployed is that correct you've had a lot of shit blown on you from roofs <laughs> You is am I correct? Yeah, man. Man, I either fell in it, slipped in it, or it dumped on me. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness we had one of those pools, well, behind our house that was well kept up, and I would just go jump in it, fully kitted. That's so gross. Jump in it. It's so gross. Rinse off and jump out and hang all my stuff up because it could dry in no time and and uh call Brad. <laughs> Brad T, who was the pool guy, and go, hey, man, you might want to call that local guy. <laughs> I, mean, I, just, I just shat it up a bit. But I'll tell you what, if it, was, it wasn't was jumping out of the back of a pander and running and slipping and face down and get up back, Jesus, or or walking up on a house in the middle of the, the salt flats in, Baghdad, in Iraq, and, and, and then I step on something like squishy. I'm like, what is that? And then it goes, bloop, and I just disappear inside an eight-foot-deep septic system you know just covered oh, up with a piece of plywood yeah. i'm like and me as soon as it goes through i'm like oh, 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 i'm trying to get above it so gross oh uh, it's horrible you know or uh or in in solder city and it's funny i was i was talking to brad the other day on on a, we were doing what we're doing live instagram live or something and he was telling a story about i only talk about solder city and i flew one on the helo and finally i wasn't on the ground i went Oh, you asshole. You're the guy because I tell the story about Solder City, how I was in charge. We were doing a, a hostage rescue. And I said, listen, two minutes in and out on the ground because it's Solder City. And I mean it. And I was so happy that I walked in alleyways, tight concrete everywhere. And I hear little birds coming in. I'm like, yeah, no shit on this one. And then a the little bird landed and Brad's talking about how he went down and it had blown over the shitter off the roof. And I go, yeah. And it fell on me on the ground, bro. <laughs> now I know who did it. <laughs> I uh, I heard that when I was jogging. I, I was like, golly, that guy runs into a lot of shit. Yeah, it was. Uh, shit, man. And in Somalia, I, I took a knee in a pile of shit. And somebody was screaming, somebody screaming what's that smell? And I'm like, I don't know. And I'd fallen and knocked my nods and broke them in Somalia in a Russian compound. And I was trying to fix them. I took a knee and we started taking fires. Like, hey, we need to go get in this building. And, I, and we go in this small room and I'm fixing my nods. Someone's like, I smell shit. And screaming. I'm like. Not me too, man. And somebody's like, God damn, where's that, you know, where's that poop? And getting mad. And I'm like, huh? And I, and I finally realized it's all over my leg and my knee. I was like, <laughs> so gross. I'm rubbing on the ground like, I don't know, man. I don't know where that shit's coming. I, I don't know. I, I saw something on my way in. So, <laughs> shit me. Post-retirement, the most difficult thing for you post-retirement. You, 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 I mean, you can't come off, and I hate to say it like this, you can't come off a worse leaving i mean you felt completely abandoned so you can't come off a of war you can't walk away and be like man that was fucking awesome and high five everyone because you just said it was though you never felt so 
Now you leave that, you have, like you said, no skills for a family. Uh, you're just thrown to the wolves out here. Uh, so what's the toughest part that you realize like, oh my God, I'm in way over my head on this one. Wedding night? <laughs> I was going to say. No, not I married her. <laughs> Usually that's the answer. Yeah, you rock, know, rock bottom. when people hit rock bottom, you know, it's bedrock. They're like, oh man, I need help. When I got down there, that's when I almost killed myself. That was that was the bedrock, the natural bedrock. Well, and let's talk about Jen's that night real quick, because I, 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 Jen, I think this goes to, this is like you guys' story. I mean, this kind of defines you. This story. So, if we can do that, you were working for like a zombie company. Uh, you know, oh, teach people how to CQB and put on gear and shoot guns and kill zombies and tactics and stuff, and then we take them on a mission and. uh you know, somebody makes money for it. And it was one of those, you know, you need to come up with a, uh, a past life, uh, you know, or like a persona, a persona. And I'm like, uh, I was a Delta guy and now I'm doing this. No, no, like wrestling, like, you know, and it came up with Tom wasn't born. He evolved on a, on a, on a, on a cargo yes. ship in Adriatic sea or some shit. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. And he grew up strong and bold and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, we're selling this thing for someone else. And I'm thinking, all, you know, and then one day I'm thinking all my friends had died. All these skills I've been given are real skills. And now I'm using it as an entertainment industry. And it just hit me. Um, driving back one day with two friends in the car and, and, and her camera crew. Going back to the hotel. And, and, and I was just, it just hit me and I was quiet. I'm like, man, this sucks. You know, this sucks. I'm getting a divorce again, which, you know, didn't suck as much as my life sucked. Um, my son doesn't talk to me, you know, much and, and I'm never home and I need to get my shit together. And I was like, you know what? I'm just in the way. I thought, you know, I've done what I needed to do. I'm in the way. My kid's old enough. He's got a mom. I'm just, that's it. I'm done. And, and I literally, it, it came to one of those. That's it. I'm done. And I was just driving. Like I got my gun in my bag. All right, I'll sit in the car, everybody go. I made a quick plan, like, yeah, 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 all right, this is easy. And then when everybody left, I was like, all I could think of was, man, it's going to make a mess. I'm fucking, I feel sorry for the fucking people who find this and clean it up, you know? And and, and how do I do it? And the phone's like, it's going off. And I'm like, Jesus, be free of that. And and then I picked it up. And all I saw, text, text, text. The last text is like, you're late. And, uh, and I was never late, right? I'm never, ever, ever late. And I uh, cleared my gun, put it in my bag, locked the car, and went running on down. I'm like, hey, what's up? I'm here, guys. And I, I met her in the back corner, and we started talking. And I think I told her two months later, maybe. I don't know. A couple months. A couple months yeah. later. Yeah. You know, remember that night? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to kill myself. She's like, shut up. I'm like, no, man. I really was, was that's it. I, I it was so calming, you know. It was such a calm feeling. And it came on so quick that it was scary. And that's what terrifies me about other people when we tell them, check on your strong friends. Because the strong ones, just check on them, call them, say what's up, I love you, something. Because they're the ones that don't ask for help. They're the ones that are just going to go do it, make a plan in their head and do it. We've talked to our friends that didn't go through it because one passed out. One of them wrote notes to all his children, took off all his jewelry, mm-hmm. you know, started getting drunk because he was terrified to do it, and then passed out and woke up with his notes and jewelry. And was like, oh, thank God I didn't do that, you know? And, gathered all up and 
the stories would baffle you as to the suicidal ideation of, of what people go through that they don't want to talk about. And people think they're terrified when they do it. I, I used to think about killing myself 10 times a day, different ways, just crash my car and something, just, just jump off the bridge just, as I'm going by something. Man, if I just, just, that'd be easy. And we hear that from people all the time. And it's so scary. So we say, check on your strong friends. It came on so quick with me that day that it wasn't like I had time to ask for help. My friends didn't notice. She noticed because she was new and different and from the outside. And she noticed that funny Tom wasn't funny Tom. Drunk Tom wasn't in a hurry to get drunk. So what's what's wrong with this picture? And it, it took that notice, you know? So that's what we teach people. It takes a little bit of attention. Just pay a little bit of attention. And you might see something different. Everything happens for a reason. <clears throat> yes. If she wouldn't have been in the car that day, if she wouldn't have been there that day, we might not be talking right now. Yeah, well, we wouldn't I, be. You know what? I think we wouldn't be talking today. Uh, I, was, I was set. I was. I, I scares me to talk about it to this day. Um. Here's the big question. Then we'll get to you, Jen. To me, what was so crazy about that to me was you 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 go against the baddest guys all over the planet for 20 years in the unit, 25 years in the military. You come out reasonably unscathed, not mentally, but physically. And all of it is just going to go down the tubes now. So you beat death all these years. You you escaped it, whatever, whatever you want to call it, escaping it, beating it, outsmarting it. And then you get to a point where you're like, nah, I'll do it myself. It's a scary thing. We actually were, was, were working with a doctor who started out in the unit um, as an operator. Now he's a doctor, pretty big doctor that wants to do studies on guys from Somalia, guys from combat zones. Are they combat related deaths? You know, these guys that come back and take their own lives, it's because of the combat. So is it a combat related death? You know what I mean? So instead of just a suicide, it might mean more. They might tie it into more. Um, we talk about the numbers uh, from 9-11 and I'll throw, I'll screw this up. So don't, don't hold me to these numbers, <laughs> okay. but all, in, right. all these numbers are this. It's only being recorded and put out to like, like 35 people watch this show. So it's not a big deal. <laughs> so we, we've got a couple of numbers from 9-11 till 2019 and one of them was what, 5,800 something, something. There's a number. If you, if you do the math, it's very difficult to find suicide statistic numbers. The VA, Pentagon, and DOD aren't so great about sharing them. So we estimate somewhere around 50,000. No, it was like 65. Was, well, that was our math. Oh yeah. So, so we're talking about between that time, <laughs> 65, 58,000 suicides versus the amount of combat related deaths in the same amount of time, which was around 5,000. So when we talk to people, I, I look at this room of SF guys, I go, you're all badasses. Every one of your studs, but what is the greatest threat to the U S service member? It's not the enemy. It's yourself, your inability to deal with your emotions. So we're going to talk about that, you know, and that's what we want to get them. We're killing ourselves because we're so good at it. If you can't fix a problem, we remove it. And that's what we do. And the enemy can't kill us well enough. You know, it's, it's, it's sad that we're better than the enemy at taking our own lives. Jen, in saying all that, you knew something was different that night. You text him. As you're talking to him in the corner, do you still notice it? No, he had alcohol, so he was better, honestly. I mean, he came into the room like he always did, really. And um, 
He was a little like, I, I still remember, I still remember him coming up and kind of a little hurried. Like if he's late or if he feels like he's out, you know, then he's got to get back into his um, chill space, you know? So he, he's, he was a little amped up, but I'm like, I don't know what he was doing. Like why, you know, why he wasn't answering or what was happening. And he seemed a little amped up. So I was like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I just had some stuff to do. I think you actually blamed it on talking to your ex for something like, you know, ex and kid and divorce stuff. Then it's just like, all right, let's leave that one be. Um, But, you know, he was really good at flipping that switch between public Tom where his armor and his wall and his, you know, I always joke, I'm like, SF people are the funniest people because you ha- they have a greatest dark sense of humor, you know, and I love inappropriate humor. So found myself constantly entertained, but that's what he did. He walked in, you know, it was like, a, oh, okay, let me get my, all right, we're good. Um, so make it a double. Well, yeah. <laughs> I saw her moving her hands and I thought he came in dancing. I don't, I don't know what you're doing here. Uh, Let's dance though. That's a great dancer. Right. Oh, just, well, that's the list of accomplishments. Yeah, he he's actually there? got rhythm. I told him, I'm like, you don't have two left feet. I like it. It's good. <laughs> so uh, you, you talk to him, you guys, uh, over time, fall in love. Uh, Jen is now divorced. You guys decide we're going to get married. And I don't know that I've ever heard a worse wedding day story ever. <laughs> I really don't think I've heard a worst wedding day story ever. Unless they murdered their spouse on their wedding day. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about even before the wedding. You guys go to the beach. It had just rained. The beach is clear. You have it all to yourself. You're going to take your pictures. Tom, you describe it as we look like the happiest people in the world and we couldn't be more opposite. And I go back to that question again. I want to be normal. I want to do the right thing. I found the person to do that. How can I fuck this up? I, I, am I wrong? I always find a way. Finding a way to fuck shit up. I, uh, yeah, and I think even on our way to get married, we stopped and had a shot or two. I mean, we were both nervous. We had to get married to buy a house we were going to buy. We, we were going to get married later. Um, you were trying to get the VA loan, right? Yeah, and the VA's like, mm, we're supposed to close on the house on Monday or whatever it was. We and it's like, we got to get married now. And it's like, well, no big deal. I mean. Except for he lives in another state. Yeah, you're in Missouri and I'm in Savannah. So and you're we got to figure, figure this out. Um, yeah. You know, Mo, by the way, she's like, oh, how are we going to get all our friends there? And I'm to me, I'm like, what? Friends at a, at a wedding? What? you? Friends we at a, a wedding? How are And I go, photographer? We just need just. Just in Tom's defense, he's kind of an expert on weddings at this point. I know what I'm doing. That's in now. his defense. So, I, you know. Don't blow any money. It won't be worth it. So, <laughs> But, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, it was a good day until it wasn't, right? And it was just kind of how we were back then, I think. It was, it was good until it wasn't because we had no management skills. No, no, management skills. I didn't any. You were still in the thick of it. And honestly, I think looking back, you could see chaos and him did not go hand in hand. I mean, it just at war. Great, because then he could get angry. He can get violent. He can dominate. 
he can go to all those tools, but when he uses those same tools at home that he used at war, it doesn't go over so well. I'm so, very cool and calm at war. Yeah. I mean, shit's people freaking out. And I'm like, just chill, man. Just give me a minute. You know, I'm like, mm-hmm. And I've had guys tell me, you know, your voice on the radio is what got me, man. Your voice kept me calm. And, and the fact that I was just on the rooftop or doing something, uh-huh. Yeah, if my head explodes, I won't know it anyway. So I'm just going to keep writing down and do stuff. And I wanted to do my job right and doing it excited doesn't do it right. So I always would back myself down. But man, bring me to a home life and a wedding or something where people are happy. Sucked at it, boy. I, I would ruin it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, that's good at it. yeah, and I think you, after everything that happened, so uh, I, I don't want to run the book, but I really want to talk about some of the points because you point out a lot of things. Like, Tom, you sat at a table and talked to someone that you weren't even married to for the entire wedding. Tired. She tells you she's going upstairs. You guys go up. I think you say to her, you can do whatever the fuck you want to do. She was going to leave or something. You guys get into it. You have a big blowout in the room. Jen, you sleep on a bathroom floor. Tom, you sleep wherever the body fell. Uh, yeah. How do you even get past that? That's the first day. You, Jen, you've got to be thinking in your head, like, what in the fuck did I just step into? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, well, we had the, we weren't even technically married. We were married. Um, we had to turn in the paperwork to uh, the court house yeah, in savannah we had, to, we had to you know give them the, the the paperwork so they could log it in so we weren't really married i mean we were but it wasn't legal and i just said don't turn it in just if you don't turn that paperwork in we're not married and um i'm just gonna go back to st louis like i'm gonna go home because i'm not signed this i didn't sign up for and um you know this is too intense. And I said, give me 24 hours. Like without you interfere, like interfering. I can't even say it. <laughs> you know, and, and honestly, he, we talked about this later. He's like, I was just scared to death. I'm like, you were really calm after like when I asked for my space, when I asked for, let me, let me figure this out. We went back. He said, can we go back to the same spot where we got married? And I'm like, all right. And, um, we sat there for hours, neither of us talking, like just staring out in the ocean at one point and say, can I hold your hand? I'm like, Nope, not there yet. Um, but by the time the next day I got on the plane, I said, you start showing me that this isn't the life you want. Show me, don't tell me I want to get better. Show me. And then we'll see where we go. And the next day he was in, um, anger management therapy like intensive therapy that that next day. So then we had a place to go. Then we had a place to work from. Um, had he not been willing to put in the work, had he not been willing to try really, really hard? No, we, there's no way we would have made it at all. And, and to be honest, I, in my head, if that hadn't worked, I was going to kill myself. Uh, that shame I, I didn't cycle. Want to bring that up. I wanted to leave that, but that's mentioned in the book, and and that actually made you angry, correct, Jen? That that you thought now it's a kind of a standby. Yeah, absolutely. It was a don't don't you dare hang that on my head. Like I can't um, I can't live with you, but I don't want um, 
I don't want that. Obviously, I want him to live. I loved him. I, I love him. But I, that kind of, if you don't do it, I will, that's torture. I mean, that's just another form of of abuse in some ways of, if you don't, I will. And honestly, so. it's a cry for help that you're dumping some pain on someone else, too. I mean, it's it's a it's a shitty thing to do from a shitty place in your life. And it's it's a cry for help in a, in a, in a bad way. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a crappy, and I talk about suicide is, is a, it's a crappy thing to do. You dump your life and your problems on those who are left living. that have to mourn you and, and deal with that too. And that's not an, it's not a fair thing to do to people. And, you know, I think I use that for a bit as a, you know what, fucking I'm out of here. You know, I've screwed up again. That's it. You know, ah. And I, a lot of people go through that. A lot of people. It's like almost your go-to thing. Like, you know, I'm, the shame cycle is so deep and so embarrassing that you go straight from a mistake to I should die versus I'm sorry because you've said I'm sorry a billion times. It no longer means anything to you and you're embarrassed to say it. To oh, I did it again, man. You know, and to oh, here I go again to you know what? I'm so embarrassed for you and me and everything that it'd just be best if I was just gone. And you think in your head at that moment that that's that's the answer that'll solve all our problems you know you don't think of what more problems you think of a solution you're like well if i'm not causing trouble then your problems are gone you know and that's just not the true thing and so i can only imagine you the first day in anchor management or a therapist mm -hmm. like sit down uh we have a lot to talk about i i hope you cleared your calendar because i have about 25 years of shit i need to talk about this guy knew too he was yeah, eric clapton's awesome. he was eric clapton's he was eric clapton's um addiction so he he worked and guy, in and listen when we talk about addiction eric clapton wrote a song called cocaine so he <laughs> he definitely had to be good how good this guy was he was and i i i mean i still i love that guy because what he did for you was what nobody else had been able to do at that point which was identify what was going on with tom which was to name it to you know we don't like labels but without that post-traumatic stress disorder we didn't know how to tackle what was happening with him i so. was just i was just an asshole and then then i had a then i had the drinking thing. problem yeah he's a drunk asshole to, oh, there's a reason you're a drunk asshole. Oh, so now I can fix that. Okay, so there's something to work on, you know? And I got to work. I mean, I I, I took it like, okay, there's something to do. There's there's an enemy to mission. tackle. There's a mission to get on, and I got on it. Yeah. And uh, from that day, I started doing as much as I could, as often as I could, and uh, started feeling better. Yeah, I mean, I'm not all better now. I'm like, oh, I'm perfect now. But, you know, when those things happen, we both know it right away. We both can start to stave it off or fix it or, yeah. or, or to work on it immediately versus, you know, oh, that sucked. And you go through a month of pain and then you call somebody for help. And, you know, it's two months later, you finally talking to somebody. We, we have those tools right now we can work on right away. And we're, we're both quick to pick up on it when either either of us are triggered on something. Yeah. Or like when I'm like, hey, you just triggered my trigger, which triggered your trigger. So we're both triggered. So let's like, just. What? What? <laughs> Let's just take a take a break. For Let's a just watch TV. Time out. <laughs> Now, yeah, Netflix. Let, let's say that's what I was about to say. So let's say he triggers your trigger that triggers his trigger, whatever it is. What are we watching? Oh, well, 
Mm. Well, I don't say, know. But... If you say Bridgerton, I'm going to jump out a window. So. No, oh, my God. No, actually, I love period pieces, and I don't like that because it's too modern. <laughs> yes. I'm like, this is not historically accurate, so I cannot. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Discovery Channel guy. Like, what's happening, really? And, and, and Mike Rowe. If and, you know Mike Rowe from Dirty Job. Oh, no. Yeah. Are you asking if I know him? No, I don't know. I know <laughs> of him. I don't know him. Well, you never know. I, you know, yeah, he loves. I, that. I don't know if that you figured out. I'm not really that important of a person, so uh, I'm just now starting up the the ladders. So um, here, here, here is the thing. So all of this happens. We learn all this. We it's good to go this way. That we say now we know what to do. Now we've been in therapy. Now we've done all these things. So this is where you guys' stuff comes in right here. Everything that you've dealt with, everything that you've done. Tom, you wrote the book All Secure. It's a fantastic book about not only your life in the military, but step-by-step of how you saw just the complete meltdown of your life. Is that, is that why you're, yeah. why you're going up on one side so high, you're crashing so hard on the other side of it. And then Jen, yeah. yours that comes out on February 16th, Arsenal of Hope. Uh, I want you to talk to us about that because it's not out yet, but it's getting huge reviews. I looked it up today and people are loving this book. So if you can tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. So Tom, um, Tom had 40,000 words deleted from his book because the, uh, were the most editor of them had- fuck. <laughs> they were all fuck. Um, yeah. Fucks got taken out. No, it was, um, there was a lot of growing up and a lot of in the end of all secure, what we do now. Um, okay. and so the, the editor, well, came, they had an the, agreement on words. The, agree, but the agreement was a hundred thousand words. I don't know what that means when I started out. And then we, we ended up at 140,000 words. They're like, no, I'm like, what's the difference? And then, you know, our co-author was like, Hey, it's a good book and we can't take anything out. I'm like, I'll bet it has to do with paper and ink, you know, cause I'm a money guy. Yeah. Like it's exactly paper and ink. Okay. Okay. So cut out 40,000 words. So it's hard to cut out 40,000 words in a, in a full story. So we had to cut out chunks and chunks. So it still goes together. And so there you go. <laughs> you just stopped on that. You can finish. Well, no, I, I kind of took what okay, you think. You the 40,000 words that we took out, I think, you know, needed to be in there. Uh, yeah. So I, I kind of was like, I wish that the, the stuff at the end was still there. And Tom's like, well, you write it then, you know, you write, you write about it. And I, I'm like, ah, you know, doing the whole, I don't know about that. And you have the book and you, and then, you know, honestly, he's like, you kicked my butt for a year to write a book. So shut up, put up and get some pen and paper out. And so I did and um, collaborated with a woman named Holly Lawrence, who is awesome. She is, um, she's written so many books that when we came together as my collaborative writer, I'm like, here's all my stuff. And she's like, all right. And I'm like, how did you do that? You know, these, these people are amazing. So I, I give her credit for organizing my, you know, shoe box full of writing and bunch of drawings. <laughs> and a lot of this is what I was feeling here. I put my words into pictures. So if you can do something with that. So you, here's, here's the great thing about you two kind of tag team in the whole situation. Tom, you go after, um, 
you go after, I don't want to say just the guy because it's not just the guy, but you go after the hard head of the group. Would you agree? Yeah, me. Yeah, guys like me. Well, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be guys, but the hard head of the group is, is I think your book tells over and over again, you can be a hard head and something good can still come from it. There is redemption sooner or later. And then Jen, in reading everything that you've done, you're like, okay, we know he's a hard head. Here's how you deal with the hard head or here's how you take in this situation, which is great because the books are almost companions of each other. Because I, I like they're like, yeah, I, I think they are companions. And we were good. actually, we were just actually asked, somebody said, if I were to pick up all secure and arsenal of hope, which one should I start with? You know, or, and, and they are different. They are their own thing. Um, you know, Tom's book is mar- more of a memoir. It's his story. Arsenal of hope um, certainly has my story, our story. It has other warrior stories. It has other couple stories. Um, it really is meant to help people not feel so alone in whatever they're going through. You know, a lot of the people that have read and reviewed my book aren't military and they're not military spouses. So it's pretty funny. I mean, really the people that have resonated and grabbed the book have had some sort of trauma in their life. Um, whether it be a sexual assault or, you know, childhood abuse or, or, or something that has happened in their life. And they picked up this book and they're like, oh my gosh, I thought this was a military book, but I completely identified with it. Um, There's, you know, real practical information. There's definitions, there's information. It shows how trauma can show up in your life and your relationship and, and then what to do about it. Cause I'm a to do person. Like it's great to read all secure and say, this is what set the stage and it does it really well, but I wanted to come in with, and this is what you do about it. You know, Tom can tell his story of, I had these thoughts, I had these feelings, I did these actions. I wanted to come in and say, here's a healthier way that you can still be a badass. You could be a warrior. You could be the toughest guy in the world or gal and have a family and have a life and have a relationship with your children. Um, And so that's really what I wanted Arsenal of Hope to, to be. It's that, that place where you can pull out those tools. You can pull out the weapons that you need. Like Tom talked about, I didn't have the training to be a dad. I didn't have the training to be a husband. And people will say that's so odd because, you know, his dad, um, Steve was just amazing. Like I fell in love with his dad from day one. You know, we never, I didn't want to approach really that, uh, that subject, but it's so crazy to hear how he writes about his dad in the story and how loving and caring and that he's a musician and that he's all these things. And then you get the Tom story of being a dad and you're like, wait a minute, where, where did the disconnect happen? Totally. Totally. And that was even, um, part of me understanding Tom, understanding the guys and gals I was working and embedding with was understanding how they could be this kid in Indiana who, you know, I went to his high school reunion. I was totally curious. I wanted to see what, <laughs> you know, Tom was like in, in small town, Indiana. Um, and, and to meet his classmates and they're like, he was the funniest guy. He was so sweet. He was kind of shy. He was quieter, but, you know, but really, you know, everyone liked Tom and he just was so nice and da da da. And I'm like, wow, you have really, you've changed. changed. Sure. <laughs> um, but of course war changes you, of course, 
Um, you know, we work with a lot of law enforcement. We work with a lot of firefighters. Of course, those experiences change you. I, I think you've yeah. become jaded. I think that's the oh, word for it. When you deal with the yes. stone of the earth, you, you start to identify whatever you see that, that okay, everybody looks like that. It's going to do this. And you, you become that person that the negative is going to come out of these humans. I just know it. And I got to be ready for the negativity and the bad to come out. And so you have to be prepared for it. Everybody we talk to is like, I hate, I hated people. All my friends, I'm going to move to Montana. I'm going to clear a field so I can kill everybody from the front porch. And now we're and I, back in the day. I'm like, that used to be a great idea. And now I look at them. I'm like, uh, now you're alone in Montana with no help. And that's <laughs> and why all they your the problems are still with rate. you. Yeah. They do have the highest suicide rate there. Yeah. And so you and that's the yeah. whole thing is that, that, I think you start looking at it as where you, even the slightest thing that someone might do that's against what you think, you're like, oh, piece of shit, right there. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm guilty <laughs> of it. Yeah, you, you, the slightest yeah. thing to do, you're like, oh, what a piece of shit, and you're like, wait, they can't be. Everyone can't be a piece. You know, when you go in the room and everyone's an asshole, maybe you're the asshole in the room. And I, I think that's, I think that's what happens a lot is you get so jaded that that's what happens. You look and you're like, that's not exactly what I think it needs to be. That's not exactly how I think it needs to be. So therefore it's wrong. I think a good litmus yeah. test for that are the jokes that you tell at parties. Ooh. If everybody, I don't like, think that's what? a good one. Cause I tell some, like, that's not funny? No, I don't think that baby's dying. Like, like, well, that's how we deal with stress. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was funny. She, she would look at me like, no, not that joke, man. Not that joke. I'm like, huh? What? Everybody thinks that's funny, right? Yeah. Like, not in the art crowd. Let's <laughs> just move on to from the scary, crazy. Now, I get it, and I've got dark humor, and I actually appreciate some of his stuff. But I'm like, there are very sheltered people in this world that haven't seen anything and think you're crazy. Well, the humor of those who have experienced some shit in life is yes. different than those who have Absolutely. It. Yes. And you know, and, and it's great that I have my wife. I've been married for uh, 23 years now. So um, she has um, really become kind of my better half. Now she has the dark humor because of working the job that she works, but she knows because I was about, we had a, um, a virtual parent, meeting tonight with a soccer team from my oldest. Right. And I was getting ready. I have been laying these jokes in place for about a month now. I've been sewing them in and getting everyone on my side, but it's been a very long process. So I was going to use them in this teleconference tonight. I was going to make these jokes and she's like, absolutely not. You are not going to do this. I was like, I have been laying this groundwork for a month now. And she's like, absolutely not. If you have to go in another room, you're going to go in another room because you cannot do that. And I was like, well, I'm, I told her, I'm like, I'm super disappointed in you tonight that uh, you didn't one, allow me to do this. And two, now I'm uh, unhappy and I have to go somewhere. So <laughs> I, I get it, but I, I understand what you're saying. There has to be that, that balancing act that's done. And, and I've learned a ton from my wife. Um, and, and, you know, we were in the military together and then, uh, she oh. went to nursing school and then, uh, I do my job and, you know, we just had crazy schedules for years and years and years. And now we're finally kind of on a regular schedule where you're, and you, you do learn to, you know, be able to take care of things together. So yeah. um, it's, it's important. I want to read real quick. Uh, someone that wrote about your book, Jen, it says, Jen is a force. She's an incredible human with a unique ability to express her strength and vulnerability simultaneously. 
If you or a loved one is living with PTSD, managed or unmanaged, you will likely benefit from reading this. Jen brings a perspective to the table which has the potential to move mountains for anyone willing to listen and apply. I don't want to intentionally limit affected by PTSD to check it out. It isn't a combat family exclusive reality. Trauma is trauma. And I think that's probably one of the best things they could say about you. Yeah, she's awesome. That's a that's a military spouse who... Um, oh, you, you know who that is. <laughs> I do. Oh, right. I don't know who, who wrote that, but... Um, because I gave her my book um, to, oh, to read it. Oh, I thought you were going to say, because I wrote it and gave it to her. So. <laughs> uh, she's awesome, though. Her her husband struggled was one of the first that came to us. Um, and so we, we'd helped that family out. And um, she's gone on to become an advocate now, too, for military Excellent. families. Excellent. Um, I feel like it's one of those things, I hope, that it's, it's pass it on, pass it forward. Once you get the help and you're feeling better, um, we always ask people to share their experiences where they're comfortable, pass it on and share your story. It's, we're not that unique. Um, there's a lot of people that are like us. We just, we just put it all out there. Not so. as messed up, but like us. <laughs> what can we do to help? Tell us what we can do, where we can go, how we can help you guys out. You know, I, I always say, and, and she's always like, he's going to go straight to money. You know what? We either help people or people help us. That's what we do at a nonprofit. And when we sell our books, we sell them on our, on our website for they're either signed or not. And same with hers. A hundred percent of that money goes back to the nonprofit. We don't make money off of that. Right. We send all that money back to help other people. Um, our salaries and all of our admin fees are paid for by a donor. So a hundred percent of every penny that people donate goes directly to help people. So you can go to allsecurefoundation.org. You can go on, we're on all social media platforms as All Secure Foundation. Sure or you can find us. Twitter, which I don't know. I don't know Twitter. We're all secure vets there, but I probably have five people on Twitter that talk to me. I, I don't do Twitter, <laughs> but I post there. So anybody can reach out that needs help um, on any platform. On our website, there's a reach out platform that goes directly to both her and I. Um, it's not like it goes to somebody that we don't know and have never met and then it might make it to us. It goes directly to us and we directly reach out and help people and we get them directly to either talk to us or our counselor or our therapist or whatever they need. And if we don't do it, we tell them straight up, hey, we don't do that, but we've vetted other organizations that do and we're going to directly pass you off to them. So there's no downtime in between someone who needs help. And oh, by the way, hold, please, you know, and, you know, hey, call them in a week. We're not a 911 service, but we understand it could be a 911 event and, um, you know, we tell people if it's 911, call 911, call somebody else because we're not the 911 people, but we answer our phones all the time. Yeah, we, we really don't turn anyone away. Um, we do a lot of work with St. Louis Police Department. We do a lot of work. Actually, we're going down to Tampa and up to uh, where we go, Fargo, somewhere else. I'm not uh, sure. I don't know. Um, so, <laughs> you know, even though our website says that we are special operation focused, that anyone who reaches out for help anyone. Um, we've never turned anyone away. So if you're feeling alone, if you're feeling like you just need someone to talk to, if you need resources for help, if you just want information, go to allsecurefoundation.org. You want to get a hold of us, just hit contact. Well, also you guys left out, but I put on here the allsecurefoundation.org slash shop because uh -huh. that's where they can get, you guys have some very cool. I love your, uh, don't run or you'll just die tired. Uh, <laughs> 
I love I love that shirt. You guys have hats there, T-shirts. Uh, the the flag that you have hanging off to your left, and it's actually in the screen up here. Uh, yeah. That's on there, and it's it is absolutely amazing. Jen, I want you to talk real quick about your group now because we've talked about the All Secure Foundation. So let's talk about yours real quick. Yeah, absolutely. So Virago, Virago means female warrior. And really, um, when we started doing our work with All Secure Foundation, what I found to be true was my experience was not unique. So as a veteran spouse, um, I felt very isolated. I didn't understand PTSD. I didn't understand what was going on with my husband. Um, but then when I started talking to spouses, not only spouses, but we get calls from mothers, sisters, friends who also love um, their soldier, their law enforcement. And they're like, hey, I don't understand what's going on. So I'm feeling really alone in that, too. I'm feeling really isolated. This isn't something I could talk to my girlfriend about whose husband's an accountant. Maybe I don't even want to go to my parents because we're going to go to dinner there on Sunday. And I can't really say that, you know, he had a rage fit. So. What happens is these spouses become extremely isolated. Virago is meant to close that gap. It's meant to say, hey, maybe this is going on in your life and this is why. Or maybe it's just an encouragement um, like, hey, we've got a book club coming up, right? So it's not really even about the book. It's just a way for all of us to get together and truly anyone is welcome into this group. We do have a special operations group that's private. You need to be vetted to be a spouse in that group. Um, and we have a special operations spouse that does all of that work. Um, but as far as the Virago platform um, on Instagram, Facebook, anyone can join. And, and we hope that you do. And our first book is Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown, which is awesome. So it's a chick book, but it's, it's, it's a good book. <laughs> I, I, I read the underlying it. I read it. You know what, Tom? I just realized you really have grown. I really <laughs> realize that now. <laughs> just, just say that. <laughs> oh so, so the book club, we got Virago. So guys, I think that's going to be about it. I think we've poked around in your lives for long enough, but um, you can't, you know, you can't ignore this organization. It, it helps so much. A hundred percent of its profits go back into helping people. You can go to allsecurefoundation.org. Uh, you can go to allsecurefoundation.org slash shop and get really cool stuff there. They have very, very cool things. Uh, Virago can also be found on the All Secure website. They talk about it. You can join the book club and read uh, chick books, uh, as uh, as Tom says. Uh, meet up. If you want some more of us, you can go to Twitter at Doublespeak DJ. You can go to Facebook at the DTD Podcast. You can go to YouTube at the DTD Podcast. Remember, every week we go on all of the audio platforms, Spotify, Apple, anywhere that you find podcasts, you'll find us. Then later on in the week, you can go to our Facebook group at the DTD Podcast, watch the video version of the interview, or go over to YouTube and watch the video version. That's it for tonight, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. That's Jen. That's Tom. I'm DJ. That's going to be the show. We're out of here. See you guys.